Welcome to the Fintech Australia podcast, brought to you in partnership with Tier 1 People, Australia's leaders in fintech executive search. I'm your host, Dexter Cousins. This is episode 25 recorded at the studio in the Sydney Startup Hub. Thanks to our partners, Fintech Australia, a member-driven organization building an ecosystem of Australian fintechs who are advancing the global economy. Tier 1 people share their mission to build a strong fintech community, foster connections, and support innovation. So if you're not a member yet, go to fintechaustralia.org.au forward slash join dash now. It's episode 25, and to mark such a marvelous occasion, I'm delighted to welcome a very special guest who needs no introduction. Anthony Thompson is co-founder and chairman of 86400, Australia's first smart bank. And with a resume that includes founder and chairman of Atom Bank, the UK's first mobile first bank, and Metro Bank in the UK, Anthony is one of the world's leading pioneers in digital banking. Anthony, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Well, with two Geordies doing a fintech podcast in Australia, I was thinking of renaming the show either The Ant and Dex Show or I'm a fintech celebrity, get me out of here. Why I? Why <laughs> All for the comedic effect. Um, Anthony, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. For the benefit of our listeners, who many of them aren't in Australia, could you tell us a little bit more about 86400? Sure. So 86400 is Australia's first smart bank. It's a digital bank, which has been built to take advantage of open banking in as much as it allows everyone to pull all of their bank accounts, all their credit cards, their afterpay services, all together in one place, view them in one app, see all of their upcoming bills, and do some clever analytics to help them take control of their money. It's been um, almost 12 months since launch. I think it was September last year that you launched. Been really impressed by the pace and, and velocity at which you've been releasing features and, and new products. And a lot of the work that you've done is almost a precursor to open banking. So we've seen energy switching. We've seen, as you said, the uh, consolidation of accounts. Um, the biggest question that I think all listeners have, have asked us when they knew you were coming on the show was really around what your thoughts are around the future of banking now that we're in this new era, Anthony. Yeah, I think you touched upon a couple of interesting things there, Dexter. So first is the rate of pace of development. And I'd love to take all of the credit for that, but uh, there's actually a really strong team of people, about half of whom are engineers or tech people, and about half of whom are more traditional bankers. Uh, and it needs that mix of people to get that cadence, that pace of development, because digital banks, by their very nature, require a very fast rate of deployment of new technology. So having that agile framework, I think, is essential for uh, any bank going forward, but in particular, a, a digital-only bank. Uh, and we have built it with open banking in mind. And I think everything that underpins open banking from my perspective, should be about the consumer. How do you give the customer a better product or a better service or a better experience? And open banking should allow us to do that. But I still think it's it's a little bit away from us. Um, mm. Our experience in the UK tells us that 
uh, sadly, the big banks really seem to feel that it's a zero-sum game for them. They've yeah. nothing to gain and everything to lose. So they've tended to drag their heels a bit, uh, which has prevented the introduction of it, it to its fullest extent in the UK. Mm. Uh, and I think we're seeing it slow down a little bit here in Australia also. Yeah. But when it finally arrives, I think it should be good for the consumer. And those banks that put the consumer first, that use the technology that underpins open banking, I think should be in a really good position. Mm. Um, you touched on this before with the team at 86400. To put that into context, you're still under 100 people. Is that right? It's quite extraordinary. Um, I was walking somebody around the, our building about uh, four months ago, earlier part of this year, and they were really impressed by the fact that we had an entire fully functioning multi-product bank operating out of operating out of one floor mm. of an office here in the CBD, a few hundred yards away from yeah. where we were. Uh, three weeks later, COVID hit, and we were able to operate the entire bank without seamlessly, uh, without a single person in the office. Yeah. And that's what the technology enables us to do. It, it just wouldn't have been possible even three or four years ago. Yeah, and let's be clear, you're a fully licensed bank with mortgage products, lending products, which, you know, there's, uh, I'm yet to see a digital bank or neobank go with a launch with so many products in the first 12 months. It's we, incredible. Uh, we were very fortunate in as much as uh, underpinning us, we have Cuscal, who many of your listeners will be aware of. For those who aren't, it's... Uh, the largest independent provider of payment services here in Australia. They provide payment rails, card issuance, um, credit and fraud protection, uh, and they were our founding shareholder. So they provided us with capital, with resources, which enabled us to get off to a, a really good start and enabled the, the great team that we've got to focus entirely on growing the bank rather than raising capital. And, and raising capital is a tough old game. I've, yeah. I've been in it for a long time. Over the last 11 years, I've raised about a billion dollars. Wow. And it can be a real distraction to the management team. So that ability to focus purely on building the customer-facing bank, the products, the services, and the technology that underpinned it gave us a great advantage here mm -hmm. in the Australian market. Well, I want to touch on that raising capital piece because that's a huge number but the philosophy that you've got is businesses should always be profitable and it kind of flies in the face of what we're seeing in the startup world and the, the well, tech startup it, world i would describe it slightly differently I, I believe and i believe passionately that profit is a byproduct of doing something well for the customer mm. so if you give the customer a better product or a better service or a better experience and you manage your business well you should be profitable now, I'm not against profit. You know, profit's very important to businesses. You need it to repay the people who provide the risk capital, to provide uh, the resources to grow your business, to pay the people who work in the business. So profit is absolutely essential. But I'm absolutely of the view that it is a byproduct of doing something well for the customer. And I think one of the, the kind of almost prosaic challenge of starting a new bank is that it is going to be capital consumptive. Banks require lots of capital. Unlike lots of other businesses where you go back to your shareholders, your investors, and go, 
look, we're doing really well. We're growing really fast. Here's some money. Banks go back to their shareholders and go, look, we're doing really well. We're growing really fast. Give us some more money. So the capital intensive nature of banks um, has tended to make them a little more difficult than some of the uh, non or lesser regulated fintechs. It's almost as if you've, um, in 11 years, kind of condensed the history of banking to the very point that we're at now. So Metro Bank was you know, more of a traditional retail branch led. You then went with Atom, which was the first mobile only um, bank. And now we're in you know, uh, open banking territory. And as you've touched on, the, you know, the, the evolution is that now it becomes a technology play. And we're seeing um, you know, businesses like Thought Machine 10X emerge out of the UK. We've got Rails Bank, who are now providing this technology that essentially any business could become a bank in theory. What do you see as, you know, do you see that ever being the case or do you think we're still going to have banks as, wow. as they exist? There's a lot of parts to that question. Now, I'll try and uh, disaggregate it and answer a few of them. So in terms of um, how I've ended up doing this, um, I'm not a banker by background, as you might know, I'm a, I'm a marketer. And uh, for me, marketing is about looking at market data, seeing an opportunity and using that opportunity, that insight to develop a business. And the, the data back in 2007, when I had the idea for what became Metrobank, uh, all the banking data I looked at told me that what mattered to customers was value. Mm. And the banks, and of course, these are all high street banks at the time, all thought that just meant price. And when you dig into the consumer's response to this, value means more than just price. Price is important to people, obviously. But so service and convenience and transparency and trust. Um, so I saw a real opportunity to create a bank that focused on the other elements of value, not just price. That was Metrobank. Uh, skip forward to 2012, only five years later, but I saw the most seismic shift in consumer behavior that I'd seen in 30 years of looking yeah. at market data, which was this shift from traditional banking to digital in general, and mobile in particular. And that was the insight that led to the launch of, uh, of Atom Bank in the UK. And Atom, as you probably know, is doing pretty well, yep. in, particularly in the mortgage market. Um, about two, uh, two or three years ago, my wife said to me, how do you like the idea of living in Australia? When I discovered she didn't just mean me on my own, she was actually going to come <laughs> with me. I thought it was quite a good idea. Um, Looked at the Australian marketplace, um, spent, I came here 18, 16 times in 18 months from the UK, a week a month for, for 16 months to get to understand the marketplace. Very, very similar to the UK. Saw real opportunity to create a, a, a digital bank. Um, I met the uh, managing director of Cuscal, who had a very clear vision for this. As I mentioned earlier, I had some of the resources, some of the people. Uh, they'd never built a bank, and I'd been around that block a couple of times before. So it was a great marriage of, of uh, two sets of skills and experience and expertise. But really building on that same insight, which is customers are moving more and more to living their life on their digital devices, mm. in particular their mobile phones. And if you're going to live your life on your mobile phone, you want to be able to do all of your banking and money-related stuff there too. 
that word trust really resonated with me when you were talking about the research from Metro Bank. We've obviously had huge issues here in Australia with a, a royal commission. Um, what do you think that banks can do to regain that trust of a consumer? My uh, my former uh, partner in Metro Bank was once asked to contribute. Many people know him. He was very famous for having a small dog that he used to carry everywhere with him, little Yorkshire Terry. And they said, if we kidnap your dog and don't give him back till you restore the trust in, and they named a big, big American bank, what would you do? And he paused for a moment. He went, I guess my dog's dead. Uh, I think it's an incredibly difficult challenge. And it's something I've looked at in some detail. Um, I co-authored a book on the marketing of money um, last year uh, called No Small Change which looked at the marketing of, of, of um, financial services in general, banks in particular. And one of the, the conundrums we, we didn't really understand, and we, we did a lot of research into is all of the consumer groups say customers don't trust the big banks. And yet the big banks produce piles and piles of research which says, look, customers do trust us. And you go, well, how can this be? One of them has to be wrong. But uh, it turns out they're both actually right. Because as we dug into this with a, a lot of help from um, one of the professors at UCL, we discovered that there are two types of, of trust. Uh, one type called cognitive, which is about competence, and another type which is associative, which is about intention. Yeah. So cognitive trust is, do I trust you, my big bank, that if I pay my salary in, on the last Thursday of the month, it'll still be there on the Monday. Yes, I do. Do I trust you, my big bank, that you will pay my standing order for my mortgage or my direct debit for my uh, television? Yes, I do. Um, do I trust you, my big bank, that if I put my card into an ATM, it'll work and some money will come out? Yes, I do. So people trust the big banks to be competent. Mm. The second form of trust, associative trust, is about intention. Do I trust you, big bank, to put my interests first? And the resounding answer is no, I bloody don't. So banks, the big banks are trusted to be competent, but they're not trusted to put people's best interests first. And therein lies the real opportunity for new banks like 86400, which is to demonstrate to customers that we genuinely do put them first. Mm -hmm. So when you launched Atom Bank, I, I seem to recall you you mentioned that you, you had this idea, wanted the bank to be a personality. And so you know, rather than picking Joe Bloggs, you went out and picked Will I Am of the Black Eyed Peas. So my question is, if you were to pick a personality for 86400, who do you think it would be? Well, your, your story's... As with many of these things, it's changed slightly from the, the, the actual real event. What happened was I was sitting in my uh, in my home in, in Somerset in the UK one Friday evening having a glass of wine, thinking if Atom Bank were a person, who would it be? And it's an old marketing technique, which is to look, what are the anthropomorphic qualities, the human qualities you would look for in, a, in your brand, in, in your business? And as I was thinking about uh, Adam Bank, I was thinking it's, well, it would be 
someone who lives their lives digitally, who really understands social media, someone who, who understands the psyche of our target market, the millennials. And for some reason, he came to mind. Um, so I did some deep research, uh, otherwise known as Googled him, <laughs> and discovered that it, it, everybody knows him as a seven-time Grammy Award winner, a, a singer and, and songwriter in Black Eyed Peas. What not many people know is that he has a huge artificial intelligence business, several hundred people across uh, three continents, and has a vision of the future of technology in the lives of young people, which is quite extraordinary. So to cut a very long story, very short, this is a story for over a glass of wine on another occasion, um, I got in touch with him. He really liked the idea. We, we came from, as it turns out, similar backgrounds. Hard to believe that... He's from Gosforth as well, is he? Uh, hard to believe that <laughs> Newcastle's like the projects in LA. But yeah, we had a lot yeah. of similarities in our background. Uh, shared a similar vision. We got on really well. And he joined uh, Atom as an advisor to the board and in fact became a shareholder. Um, obviously, I've stepped down from Atom a few years ago, but Will and I remain good friends. Awesome. Um, before we wrap up, you've been in Australia for almost two years now. What are your thoughts on Australia as a, a, a kind of fintech hub and a, an area for innovation in comparison to the rest of the world? Um, I see a number of really exciting hubs around the world. So Singapore is incredibly yeah. interesting. There are certain parts of China, Shenzhen. Um, but then you go to California, you go to New York, you go to London, you go to the Northeast. Yeah. Uh, incredibly, in, in, in the northeast of England, there's a great fintech hub. So I think it, it's less an issue of geography and more an issue of mindset. When you get young, hardworking, bright people who are really determined to make a success of something, it's great to see them when they come together. Some, mm. Something greater than the sum of the parts tends to come out of it. And that's why I'm so pleased to see these these hubs, be them fintech or, or other hubs or other tech hubs um, around the world, coming out with some really incredible ideas that I think will, over time, uh, be world-changing. Mm. And finally, um, any plans to go back to the UK or is Australia home for you? Well, I think um, that's a question of whether the Australian government uh, would keep me. Um, certainly my wife and I love living here, but uh, you know, there's lots of exciting places on the planet. There is. And where can people go if they want to find out more about 86400? Go to www.86400.com.au or we're very active on social media or get in touch with me. Um, just to confirm everybody, that's 864000. Not quite. <laughs> Eight six four zero zero. <laughs> we'll keep this bit in. <laughs> yeah, which is the number of seconds in a day, which is what the bank is named after. Well, Anthony, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. And um, we'd love to get you back on at some point. It's been a pleasure, Dexter. I'd love to come back. Thank you. Well, that's the end of the show, folks. Thanks for tuning in and thanks to our partners, Fintech Australia. Remember to subscribe, 
We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and all your favorite players. And if you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a comment or a review. Until the next time, stay safe.